Mental health can be a difficult topic to talk about. I'd like to change that. I'm Marcus Pipworth and welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast. Hello, yes, welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast episode number 25. 25, hey, <laughs> thank you for everyone that's been listening uh, to all of these uh, so far. And um, yeah, it's meant a lot to me. I didn't really know what I was doing when I started a year ago. Uh, some would say I still don't know what I'm doing a year later, but that's another story. Uh, but like one of the things I, I'm, I think about is back to a year ago, I thought I don't really know how to do this. But I just thought, okay, never mind. I'm just going to start and see how it goes and just learn as I go along rather than trying to spend a lot of time perfecting it and then starting. Well, I knew that wouldn't really work because I would talk myself out of it. So I just started uh, whether that was the right or wrong thing to do. Who can tell? But I'm very happy I did it. And now, uh, yeah, I I think uh, 25 episodes in and I'm starting to get slightly, uh, I'm starting to sort of, be like okay I'm I'm getting the hang of how to do this although I know I've got a lot of things to learn still and I'm excited for the journey to continue but anyway thank you for everyone that's been listening since the beginning and uh, welcome all those who are new to the podcast uh, I'm excited to bring you episode 25 with Joe Minihane I met Joe I'm gonna say about six months ago on a trip to Brighton I was introduced by our mutual friend also called Joe everyone I know in Brighton seems to be called Joe uh and uh yeah we we went for a drink and some food in a pub in town and then I went and watched Joe give a talk at the Onka Gallery which is really uh, a really good gallery in Brighton if you're ever there uh and he was talking about his book Floating which is uh his um exploration into his anxiety through the lens of wild swimming and it's a really fascinating uh account of his experiences with wild swimming and how that helped his uh his anxiety and how that continues to help his anxiety um i i guess over the course of well i've, I've done a little bit of wild swimming in my time uh and I think this summer I got a chance to do quite a lot of it when I was in Sweden and for me it's something really uh, fascinating I hear a lot about how um, things like wild swimming can help uh, people with depression and anxiety and and I guess my experience of it is that um, it has helped me in multiple different ways I guess probably one of the strongest ways it's helped is that it uh, makes me go out more into nature and I think fostering that connection with nature is really important for a, the, a holistic view of uh, of mental health and well-being uh, it's also uh, it usually encourages me to find people to do it with I've never been wild swimming by myself always with other people and so there's that element of uh, fostering connections with people which I think is also uh, fundamental to well-being and then uh, then there's the actual physicality of it it's like jumping in the cold water and feeling the rush as the, the blood pumps through your body and and uh yeah so that's uh yeah i think it's i'm a very big advocate of uh cold water swimming and yeah so i was excited to speak to someone who has dedicated quite a large portion of these past few years to uh the pursuit of wild swimming and with uh the added level of using it to do a bit of self-exploration so uh I'm not going to talk much more. I'm going to hand over to Joe soon. Uh, I would just say if you are liking these podcasts, then 
sorry to badger you but it would be lovely if you went over to itunes and rated and reviewed this podcast so i can reach more people um i'm going to be back at the end but for now i'm going to hand over to joe and myself i will just say my voice is a bit quieter because of some my microphone's really cheap and uh also was a bit ill so uh bear that in mind but anyway here you are here is our conversation i mean it was amazing when i actually did meet you the first time because i just was on my way to brighton i had about an hour or, or a few hours to my friend finish work so i yeah contact our mutual friend joe and she from the peace pottage service station just outside of brighton i know it well and she said i'm around and in about two hours my friend joe is giving a talk about his book i think you'll be interested it's about world swimming anxiety and then about half an hour later i was sat having dinner with you and having a pint of vegan lager having a pint of vegan lager in the vegan pub in a vegan pub in brighton like the most brighton thing in the world yeah it's a good beer that before heading off to watch a talk in an art gallery which is also very... A, very, uh, a carbon neutral, I believe, Onka might, might yeah. not have any waste. So, yeah, so it was, so it was nice. So, yeah, suddenly <laughs> I was from having no plan in a service station outside Brighton to sitting watching you talk about something <laughs> that I was very interested in. Hey, you know, it was, it was all planned. It's, yeah. uh, it's fate. That's how it works. It the, is how it goes. The it's more true. you plan, the less these exciting opportunities arise so this is as i'm finding at the minute with with new projects so too yeah. much planning doesn't always work out so then i guess i wanted to speak to you uh, we, we arranged to speak and i have been meaning to get in touch but i wanted to read your book first and then there's a pile of books and stuff to do and i eventually always. got into it and uh and i, I was glad i had left that space because it sort of like had fallen a bit sort of out of my mind and then i read cool. it again just in time for sort of the summer and just in time when you actually want to go for yeah, a swim. Yeah, so it really inspired me. So this summer I've done quite a lot. I mean, just, oh, good. We were just talking before we turned this on. I was in Sweden briefly and um, for quite a while, we, me and my friends just drove, spent out five days driving a journey which should have taken us less than a day, but we just late cotted. Oh. 30 degrees, 30, and we just late cotted oh. and swam in the sea. Uh, not in the sea, in the lakes. Um, and it was beautiful, and I've, and I guess over the past few months, I've been doing quite a lot of swimming, and I, yeah. It does always like the heat wave certainly helped matters. Yeah, I'm not a particular believer in uh, it's better in winter. One of the things I like about this time of year, like say September, is is that the beach is a bit quieter, but it's still kind of warm. But it was golden this year. It was absolutely perfect. Like you know, the sea here in Brighton was like plus twenty. There were a lot of people in, but that's not really a problem. I mean, it, like I say that, I know that a lot of swimmers are like, you get over to the beach and you're like, there are other swimmers here. This isn't fair. Where are you in February? And there is an element of that, but uh, it was great. Yeah, I'm, I've never been to Sweden. I've been to Finland, and to, but Finland in like November and ice swimming was not on the agenda. Sadly, actually, I probably would have given it a go. They probably would have taken about six hours to recover. But um, a good friend of mine, is, his wife is Finnish, and I know he enjoyed it a lot. Have summer. you done any ice swimming? Um, I've done a lot of winter swimming. I haven't done any ice. I've never broken ice. Every time I speak to people about breaking ice, I'm like, like amazed. But like, I have this like pit of fear in my stomach. Because I know I'm, at some point I'm just going to do it. Because I've kind of like, I don't really mind getting in in the winter. Like, it, it's 
in Brighton it's quite hard because it's just you have to find the right day for it. And so if it's windy for like seven or eight days in a row, which it often can be, and then it's still, you haven't swum for those seven or eight days in like January, you kind of lose your acclimatisation. So your will to like get down there is, or like, you know, already like you've got loads of layers on and you have to prepare quite a lot for it. But obviously that's not ice swimming. That's like, you know, five degree swimming, which is still really cold. Like, yeah. like I, I was reading something recently where someone described four degrees Celsius as limpid. And I was like, no, that's not. That's not like even the the sea in summer is not limpid. You get like, those people that swim by the pier. I remember I used to live just down the road yeah. in Kemp Town here, and I used to run in the mornings, run along the seafront yep. often, and just see these people at, just was still basically still dark, and there's these people walking. Yeah, out. those guys will go for it like <laughs> at any time. It doesn't matter the conditions. I, I was out last week for a run. I actually ran along the beach because the tide was so far out. And um, it was super windy, and that was the reason I'd gone for a run, because I didn't want to get, really get in the sea, because it was tide was far out, and it takes ages to get to the water. But they were going for it, because like, they were going to go around the pier. Um, I quite like a bumpy sea swim, but like, I don't want to go, like, full hat and goggles and then, like, steam into it, because, yeah. especially on your own, which is what I tend to do down here. I don't really swim with other people as much down here, just by dint of the fact that I live right on the seafront, and it's really convenient, and I have a 15-month-old son who, um, you know, I like to spend time with and I like to help look after. And, like, the times that I have for a swim generally tend to be, like, after he's had his dinner but before he goes to, goes to bed, which is, like, you know, a very brief window of, like, dashing across to the sea and having a dip and then coming back and helping out. So, yeah, it's... Uh, Brighton has sort of been a bit of a winner for that. Yeah. Just having the water. Sort of moved here by, mis- <laughs> by mistake. So I lived in London for 10 years. And we had good access to water. Like, you know, I lived near Brockwell Lido, which is unheated. Um, and I swam there quite a lot. And I used to go across town to Hampstead Ponds, mostly to the mixed in the summer. Um, I quite like going to the men's in, like, March. Because, like, you still... That's, that's, like, when they're still breaking ice. I went there and that was about three degrees. And I, I got chatting with one of the fellas there about breaking ice. And he said this young chap had jumped off the jets, jetty and cut his leg really badly because he thought breaking ice meant you just jump through it. Actually jumping through it. But like that jetty's like three or four foot above the the surface so he jumped and like cut himself really badly and like the ambulance arrives and all that kind of thing. And I think there were quite a lot of like city boys who used to go in and swim for like 20 minutes and he was telling me a story one guy had to get carted off because of hypothermia because he right. went in for too long. And I think one of the things that always freaks me a little about winter in ice swimming is that people think they're invincible and go in for ages and like I mean I am tiny, like I feel the cold really keenly and I, you know, three or four minutes tops and I'm, I'm out. And that's enough to do me for the day. Like I'll feel amazing for hours afterwards. I think you do feel the burn a lot more in the winter. Like you get a lot, like you get a lot more from it. Mostly because like, you know, it's like getting out in the winter of any kind of activity is just, like feels like an achievement. You know what I mean? Whether it's going for a run or going for a walk or going for a windy bike ride, like you feel good because... You feel like you've stolen a part of the, you know, your six hours of daylight in December. You know, you're actually yeah. stealing a little bit of it back. Whereas in the summer, like, you know, you can just be a little bit more free and easy with it. Like head out at like seven in the morning and it's already been light for three hours. It's slightly different. But yeah, nice. that's my, I don't know. I just, um, I have swum. I've, I think my regret this year is I've not swum as much in fresh water. Because I live by the sea, it's just not always possible. And having a baby is 
um, means that you know you're not really willing to go too far to search out. And when I was writing the book, obviously I was traveling an awful lot, but then I didn't really have like aside from you know being married, I didn't have any other responsibilities in terms of like where I needed to be or you know people that I needed to you know help survive on a day to day. But I had no backsides to wipe, you know, I had no one to cuddle to get to sleep, you know. So you know there is that. But yeah, I do uh, I sort of miss searching out new places. People always ask me where are good places to go and I kind of feel, feel like I'm cheating them a little bit telling them places I went like five years ago. <laughs> sure, they're all exactly the same and still wonderful, but yeah. Well, you're about as close to the sea as you could possibly get in Brighton. Pretty much, yeah. I don't think you could get any closer without like getting salt spray like right in your face. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, thankfully in a basement so we're sort of protected from the, the worst privations of it when it's like gets really gets going in january but, yeah. so can you tell me a little bit about your journey into cold water swimming yeah it was a bit I was a mistake but like it certainly wasn't planned i was living in london this was probably like eight years ago eight nine years ago and um my now wife and i had recently moved in together and we uh, it was a really hot summer's day and we lived in South London in Ballam, but we'd um, been wanting to go to Hampstead. Or she'd been wanting to go to Hampstead Ponds for many years, and I've never been that particularly fast. I actually just thought that you went there and just swam in any of the ponds. I didn't really like that fully appreciate it. it was like a an organised thing with like you know three ponds, one men's, one ladies, and one mixed. And so we went to the mixed pond, and I really wasn't overly fussed about the idea. But like, you know, fine, I'll give it a go. You know, I wasn't much of a like you know my skill as a swimmer was very much like. I could jump in and like, you know, I wasn't like scared of the water, but I wasn't like, you know, I couldn't really do a decent front crawl or a breaststroke. You know, I could do a heads out breaststroke. And so she got in, had a lovely, you know, just swam off. And then I was sort of left to my own devices standing at the metal rung. And I'm like, oh God, can I see like lower your foot down? Like, oh, okay, that's cold. And then you lower your next and it's really cold. And, but then like the, you put your foot down again and there's like actually no rung to go to. And it's like, God knows how it's like eight foot deep or whatever. So you're like, right, okay, well I've got to go. And, and that was it. And I just sort of swam off and I was in my own bubble very quickly. And this is what I love about Hampstead Mixed Pond is that although it's quite a public space, there's a lot of people there. It doesn't take long for you to get into your own bubble and, you know, you sort of lie on your back and you've got loads of trees around and there's like more hens and coots in the undergrowth and, you know, occasionally a fish will jump out and everybody screams. And uh, it's just a real sense of being in nature without like, you know, and you're literally like 15 minutes from the nearest train station. Um and uh, that was sort of my first go with it. And I loved it, but I don't think I fully appreciated how much I... At the time, I kept going back. I, like, so I started going on my own, and I lived in... So it was when I was living in Balham, and then we went away for a while like, on a like, trip around Asia for like six months, and then came back, and we were living in Camberwell, and I would get the Thames link up to Kentish Town and then walk to the pond like a few days a week, like right through from like April through to September. And... Uh, like it would get warmer and it would get more popular and then you know that's September time it might cool off a little bit and there were fewer people around and I was going an awful lot and it sort of dawned on me that the reason I was going a lot was I felt really good afterwards and not just like it wasn't like going for a run and feel really good like you know you've done some exercise because I was doing that as well um it was more like I felt really good emotionally and mentally and I wasn't worrying about things like my mind was much slower and that was around the same time that it sort of dawned on me that my mind wasn't in the right 
or it wasn't right basically I wasn't in the right frame of mind I didn't really understand what was going on I hadn't labelled it anxiety at that point um, but I knew that I really loved doing the swimming and I knew it made me feel calm so that was good enough at that you know for me at that point and then started reading a lot about swimming reading a lot about outdoor swimming and I bought a couple of guidebooks so there was Kate Rue's Wild Swim and Daniel Starts Wild Swimming so the latter is more of like like very specific you know these are places to go Kate's book it's a little bit of that but then also a little bit of you know writing about swimming and Kate Rue runs the Outdoor Swimming Society and she um, you know is a real you know aficionado and then I came to Waterlog by Roger Deakin through Robert McFarlane's book The Wild Places because he writes a lot about Roger and Roger's death in that book and uh, I loved Waterlog and I I loved Waterlog and I hated my job. <laughs> so I am a, I still am a freelance journalist, but I was writing a lot about technology at that point. I'd worked for Consumer Tech Mags for a few years and that was my freelance gig and I, you know, still do a bit of it. But I was really like not very happy and I wasn't really doing what I wanted to be doing and I wasn't writing about the things I wanted to write about. I wanted to write more about travel and the outdoors and nature. And so I realised that like no one was going to do that for me. So I conceived of this idea that having fallen in love with Roger's book and read it countless times that I uh, that I was going to re-swim it and so I set up a blog called Waterlog Reswum because annoyingly Waterblog had been taken <laughs> uh, and that was it I, I, I set off I, I, I started I didn't really have much of a preconceived notion of how long it was going to take I knew it had taken Deakin like one long year so like from like April until December and then he'd done a f- few bits towards the end of the following year once he'd written the, mo- the bulk of the book which is the last chapter of Waterlog um, and um, I so I started the blog and I started swimming I did all the ones in London first I was like well I, you know it's easy and I don't have a car I don't drive um, well I lived in you know I'd, I'd gone to university and then I'd done my postgraduate course and then I'd moved straight to London and you know you don't really need a car in London so it's like I never bothered and I'd had a particularly bad experience of an intensive driving course with some quite abusive driving instructor um, who hadn't done my anxiety much good with hindsight. And so I, that was it. I just went off and started doing these swims and then I started working out ones that were close to train lines. So I went up to Cambridgeshire and then a lot of them are in Norfolk and Suffolk. So Roger Deakin lived in Suffolk near Dis, which is on the main line from London to Norwich. And I went to university in Norwich. Um, so conveniently, there were loads of swims around there. So I sort of marked them all up on this big spreadsheet and uh, you know, I had a colour coding and it all got a little bit obsessive, which I'll come back to shortly. But there are loads of people I used to know through university and like old friends and then friends of friends who had read some of the posts that I'd done and, and really liked them. And then it turned out that a lot of them were swimmers as well, unbeknownst to me. So these people knew like Roger Deakin, Suffolk and Norfolk pretty well and they were willing to basically chauffeur me around and come swimming which was great and so it fast became this sort of panacea for a bunch of things like so I'd feel really good after having a swim so like my anxiety would be dampened down but then also like I was pretty lonely because I was working from home alone which I always thought I wanted to do and I do really like I'm pretty much allergic to offices uh, but I'm not allergic to people and I, I think I thought at that time I was allergic to both it just turns out I just really don't like structured office environments um and it was great because it just meant I made loads of like reignited old friendships, made a couple of like really good friendships off the back of it. 
um, which I write about quite extensively. And um, yeah, and then these people ended up driving me all over the UK. Um, and there was family involved as well. You know, I was leaning on a lot of people for favours. I think that's one of the things when I was reading your book that I really felt resonated with me for the project I'm doing, exploring depression mm. and anxiety, driving around in the fact that when I set off, it was very much this journey about moving away from society and people and just trying to work out how to feel good about myself. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be very much a journey of like, I guess of isolation in a way. And that was something that really worried me that when I left Brighton, it meant that I was leaving behind the community yeah. and friends and I was going to be spending a lot of time by myself in the van and like parked at the side of the road crying in the night. And, <laughs> but, then, but actually what I found is the friendships in Brighton are still there. They're still strong. I mean, I'm here now and I've just hung out with lots of people. That's a year after I started and they're just as good as ever. But along the way, that very same thing, people have come along I've yeah. met people which I have been saying, let's meet up, let's meet up for years and we never get to, but I now see them more. And actually, I feel like I've got this, uh, in a way, spent a lot more time with people close to me because I've been doing this. And then I, when I read your book, I really got that um, essence of just people answering this call and coming. Yeah, and I was, I was really surprised that people were like, people just wanted to get involved. And um, I really missed that when I finished it. Like I, I got chatting with, after I'd done it, I got chatting with a guy who was like a friend's ex-boyfriend and I saw it, I bumped into him at like a, a birthday party and he was like, I don't think you realise like, you know, what that all meant to us. He came on one swim and he didn't even get in the water and he was like, I don't even think you realise like, what it meant to everybody that you brought everyone together. And I just, I'd never really thought of it like that. I'd not thought that I'd done anything particularly out there to go and do that but it did because there were a lot of people like you say people that I hadn't seen for years you'd be like oh no we we'll definitely meet up and you might see them every like three or four years or something but this was like seeing them every two or three weeks it was amazing I mean and then, then I was getting something out of it um, and that was like a huge byproduct of that and you know like I say I've still I've managed to maintain a lot of those friendships even now that I'm sort of a bit well a lot more settled down down here in Brighton but you know the trip did have its downsides in the fact that I got a little bit obsessive and that played into some perhaps obsessive tendencies that I have and then sort of got very anxious about the trip itself I'm like oh no I'm not doing it right I'm not going to enough places I'm not doing it fast enough and like, it became pretty clear that like Roger Deacon had done it really fast for like many reasons you know he didn't have you know he was retired basically and you know he owned a farmhouse like you know this big with a moat you know what I mean he didn't have to work like you know he he recently got divorced his son was living elsewhere like he didn't have any immediate family responsibilities and I had you know you know I had to pay mortgage on a flat in London pay rent on a flat in London and you know all those things and so I sort of maybe it, it became it started becoming a bit of a chore and I got really anxious about it and then halfway through the trip I think was, you know I broke my wrist I had a bit of a run-in with a an irate Range Rover driver and uh, um came off my bike and broke my wrist and it sort of meant that I had a bit of a spiral and had to reassess where I was at and that's when I started having therapy um and so I went privately and unfortunately I lucked out like the first person I went to was great and I still occasionally see him even though he's in London and it's a bit of a pain in the ass to get to him um he's really good and uh he sort of put a lot of things into perspective and talked a lot about this idea of floating, of like 
my tendency is he always saw it was that I would line things up in a row, like line your ducks up in a row. He's like, yeah, but you're then not trying to nail all the ducks down. And I have this very set sense, especially with, even with the swims, it was like, well, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And then when I've done everything, everything will be okay. One of the things I was flicking through the book again um, yesterday, looking at the bits I'd underlined, and a lot of the bits I've underlined and written next to, they're all about the idea of self-imposed deadlines. Oh. And then being yourself up about it. Oh, there's okay. loads of notes I've written like, oh my God, that's me. That's what I've done. And like, so much of my time in therapy is this, has been talking about these ideas of I like, because I guess I have freelance as well, I have very little structure. I just say, okay, by December, I'm going to have that done. And then it gets to December and I'm nowhere near having that done. And I start to freak out and I start to think I'm not good enough. Someone else could have done this much better than me. Why couldn't I do it by December? And then like, eventually I take a step back and think in like, august you just arbitrarily picked december oh. out of the air and now yeah. you're beating yourself up about it and i yeah that's just it's 100 percent. i had this idea so I'm, I'm, i was saying to you before we start recording that i'm sort of like working working on this new idea and i've got a very i've actually imposed the deadline of december to get the proposal done and i'm like all the trips that i've had planned for it were like planned months back and then they never happened and then various things happened lots of other work happened you know and you know life happens and uh, I, I think I've been putting myself under quite a lot of pressure with that. And it's quite funny. Like, I'm much better now since doing therapy. It's, I'm of objective, like, taking myself out of the scene and just being like, hang on, just look at yourself and think, you chose that deadline. No one else is telling you to get to that point. Um, I mean, I've got a lot better at realising that done is better than perfect. And that, you know, you all, you know, you wrote a book. Like, I keep telling them that's one of my favourite things um, of recent times is... Uh, telling myself that I didn't write it and that I didn't, I'm not a swimmer and that I'm not a writer. It's good. Self-sabotage is, is one of my specialities and uh, I'm, I'm particularly good at it, but I'm much better at recognising it now. So that was where the whole idea of like floating came in with the therapist. He was like, look, you know, you've got to think of this idea of bobbing around and like life is just, say you're on the surface of the water and, you know, using that analogy, which helped me understand it a little bit better and you're just bobbing around. You can't control everything. I think I am mass, a massive control freak as well. Um, and I like to have, you know, I still have that mindset of like, you know, once I get to point X, then the whole world will be okay. And I finally, you know, I know that that's not true. I still do it. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite, I like catastrophizing. I say I like catastrophizing, I don't enjoy it. But like my mind likes to catastrophize and come up with ridiculous scenarios. So the good thing about knowing that and doing the therapy meant that when I went when I in a weird way like breaking my wrist was actually a good thing because although like it was a pretty horrible experience in like you know being pushed off your bike by a crazed individual it meant that I was able to assess myself a little bit better like you know take a step back do the therapy do the work and then go back to the swimming and understand that it wasn't the thing that was going to fix me. Like, it was a nice, you know, it's an important part of my mental well-being, though. I, I like to swim. I need to swim. Um, I'm not, like, you know, I'm not a swimmer in the sense of, like, you know, I'm not going to go and swim 1,500 metres in a wetsuit and, like, and fins and do it really fast. I'm, like, sometimes I'll go in with a hat and goggles and I'll swim properly, properly, like proper stroke. And But the other day I got in and I was, like, it's too nice. It's too, too much of a beautiful day. I want to see what's going on. So I just... Just waded in my shorts and just had a little potter around, and it was lovely. 
but that feeling, you know, I still get the same feeling when I come out. Like, you know, you, your skin feels amazing and you feel a lot calmer and, you you know, this sense that your heart rate has come down. And I know there's been a lot of talk about research around that recently, like, you know, cold water potentially curing depression. I know there's a lot of talk of the University of Sussex doing research into it and potentially prescribing it. I'm not 100% whether everybody wants to, prescribing it might be a bit of a strong thing to do because not everybody wants to do it. But what I found was that, like, it was one thing that worked for me. That's interesting because I, <clears throat> I often hear, hear about it, and I think for me it's beneficial. I mean, I, I think last time I saw you, I talked about that I often do the cold shower thing, which I knew yeah. you said was no no for you. Yeah, time. I'm not. I, yeah. I, I don't like. Yeah, I like. I I like yeah. blisteringly hot showers. Yeah, generally, like, like two hours after a swim. But I think that's the point. It works for me, and I do it. But I sometimes I've looked up on the internet what are the benefits towards anxiety, depression, that sort of thing. And it's one of these things that there's people waxing lyrical about how it's the cure-all, everything. It's like mm. it, it, it's the best thing in the world and it cures all traces of depression. And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum saying that's a load of nonsense. There's nothing in there. And then there's everyone in the middle. And I think it could, could be very easy to sort of, for people to latch onto the one thing. I yeah, I mean that's one of my. I'm, I'm. It's actually the one. This whole this idea of the one thing is thing is something that's really interesting me at the moment, um, because there has been this recent research about you know I think it was on the BBC and the Guardian recently and in the, on CNN in the states about you know can cold water cure depression with this one particular case that was in the Lancet of a woman who had been prescribed it and she was going every day and it had and it had massively alleviated her symptoms and I completely could get on board with that, but. There are plenty of people who, for the idea of getting in the sea, is like full of terror and they don't want to do it. So there are other things, you know, and, and it has to be a, com- a, a an approach with a, like a multi-pronged approach. I was chatting with someone about this last week. You know, it might be that you go cold water swimming, but you also take sertraline and you also go to therapy, all three at the same time. And then maybe you come off the sertraline, but you still go to therapy. And then maybe you stop the therapy when you feel a lot better and then you carry on cold water swimming. Um, but it might be running or it might be going like something I got into earlier this year was this idea of like going for aimless walks around places because you know there's all that talk about like habit forming and like therapists often talk about this you know how long you know your brain can form a habit within 21 days whatever so like trying to find new way like remap like your neural pathways so I liked this idea of like almost physically doing that so at the start of this year I, I started writing about a few of these ideas of like a lot of this, it was I'd go up to London for work and I'd generally always go the same route because it was the route I was new. And so I'd like set myself a challenge to like, right, okay, I've got to get from, I've got to be at Y from X by a certain time and I've got, you know, how, you know, I have to say I've got two hours. And then I'd like try and walk a weird way just to try, you know, see what my brain, how my brain would feel. And it, you know, sometimes it would be really stressful and I'd be like, oh Christ, I've got to get on the tube now. But a lot of the times it was quite it was quite good because it was just like right you know this is like it was allowing me to sort of think a little bit more about things and lose myself, which is not something. See, one of the things I like about swimming is that my brain sort of stops functioning like that because you you know the only thing you really have to keep focusing on is your breathing and you're kicking your legs, moving your arms. Like survival is all all that matters whereas obviously when you're walking like you know you can still have lots of other things going on and there can be distractions you can put music on like you know you might get your phone out and scroll through things or whatever 
it's trying to get away from those distractions was something I was interested in. So the swimming sort of grounds you in that. Experience. Yeah, swimming for me, that's what that's what I really like about it. I know for a lot of people that running does the business for that. I I did a half marathon for the first time last winter and I I really actually really enjoyed it. Um and it was like pleasingly mindless in a lot of ways, like you know, running up and down the seafront and like un- along the br- undercliff towards Rottingdean along the coast from Brighton yeah. was great. And I'd you know maybe listen to the cricket or something like that. But my mind would always go off. But then you've always got to come back to your your pace and well, putting one foot in front of the other and making sure you don't trip over pretty much. Um, and I quite enjoyed that because I didn't always. I don't always. I say I'm going to. Sw- I always t- tell myself I'm going to swim through winter, and a lot of the time it gets to like. January and you're like, oh, God, I just can't be bothered. I, I used to do that um, that exact run yeah. in the morning when because I, I live like literally about a few roads down yeah. from here along the seafront in Brighton and um, yeah, for me running is all is that running has never been about exercise. Exercise no. is always a byproduct of it, if yeah. anything. But for me, it, it is that meditative feeling. And I used to always run listening to music or listening to a podcast or something. But then someone just one day just said to me that they run without listening to anything because they find yeah it becomes this thing where like oh while I'm running I could kill some two birds with one stone and yeah. listen to podcasts or something and I never really thought of it like that and I found as soon as I started running without anything without listening to anything it really changed my relationship to it and that's when I really clicked and got into the running more because it became much more about the moment the, the moment and yes the thoughts are all coming and going but you I can ground them but when when I was listening to something, it just became a sort of my body was a vessel. Going yeah, and it's that thing. It's almost you might as well just be on a train. So I think with swimming, I guess I can see that because well, I guess you can get things if you really want to to listen to stuff. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, but you can. I mean, I'm not. I, I got I got into it for a while of like not have, but I would like wear a watch down and like time myself, and then I would actually not. Enjoy, I just didn't enjoy it, and so I stopped doing that. And then the runs that I always enjoy the most. I know how like far a 5k is from my front door and back, right? So I will often now, if I go for a run, I don't track it. I hate the track. Like that is like the thing that takes, for me, takes a lot of the pleasure out of it because like I know that I'll have run 5k and I might have run it in, I don't know, however, like far, however fast it is. And then one week I might run it a minute slower, but it doesn't really matter. Like the fact is I've gone out and done it. By the way, you start competing with yourself. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of element of that, and I think it's really telling to me that like companies are trying to like tap into that mindful thing with products. And the new Apple Watch has this like new mindful thing, and it's like, yeah, but like you're also a watch that like keeps hassling people to go for a run, or like telling them they've got text messages, or like giving them Twitter notifications. It's like it's like the absolute opposite of mindfulness. But like, I hate the fact that I'm addicted to my phone. I hate it. Which I wasn't, I am. Um, and like, th- there are great mindful tools for like an iPhone. There are really good, um, there's one called Pause by a um, developer called Us2, which is great. And it's like you trace your finger over the screen. But the best way to be mindful about your phone is just to leave it at home. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not always possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one of the things I really like about swimming. It's like, no one can get you in the water. Like, there's just you and the sea or a lake or a river and nature. You know, that's the, the other thing. If I love having my head out because then you, it's great having like doing front crawl and you could be really in the moment, but rolling your back and you get your head out and there'd be like gulls whirling overhead or there'd be a cormorant flying across quite low. Or you might see a trawler with loads of gulls behind it and there's fish everywhere. It's great. 
Like you don't get that. You get that sense of being in nature, which I find I find quite hard to find elsewhere. Unless I'm like on a big walk, you know. Unless I've got a backpack on and I'm like you know going up a mountain, you know, ready access to that is quite hard. And it's hard for a lot of people. I get that. Like I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not one of these people who thinks that like you know it's going to cure your depression or anxiety straight off the bat. It takes a lot of. Um, it takes a lot of will to get in the water. I did a reading earlier this year with a friend of mine who I've mentioned earlier. She's called Jessica Lee. She's an amazing writer. She wrote a book called Turning, which is about her year of swimming in a different lake every week around Berlin, where she moved to, and um, like ice swimming and all that, all the works. And mostly as like you know, as a as an idea for writing, but also as a way of curing or like helping her with her depression. And um, we did a reading together, and someone said to us like, you know, it's great that you say these things fix your you know your anxiety your depression but like there are days when I like can't even get out of the house you know so how do you then get over that to then go and do those things I I don't know I'm not like you know I don't have answers to that that's where I think things like you know if you've got the wherewithal and you've got the courage then that's where like going to your doctor and saying hi I've got depression can I have some help please is really important and that's where I think maybe medication comes in I'm like certain I'm like not anti-medication at all um I think you know perhaps the, the movement against it has been a little bit over the top and maybe like you know I'm not saying that it's the only th- again that's the goes back to the one thing thing like you know sure like just taking drugs isn't going to fix it on, in and of itself talking's really important doing something exercise whatever is really important that might be that one thing that gets you out of the door to do go for a swim or go for a run or go for a walk or get on your bike or whatever. It's interesting because I, it's funny, I've been talking to quite a few people about this recently. That I, I went to my doctor earlier this year. So when I went, when I first was doing the swims and then I realised it was anxiety. And I'd been speaking with a lot of friends, swimming friends about this and they also have anxiety. And we, so it was pretty evident that I did. And then I went to... So I found a private therapist and I, just because I knew if I went to my, I wanted therapy and I knew if I went to my GP, I wouldn't get that. I just straight up knew it. Um, not because they wouldn't offer it to me, just that I couldn't wait 12 weeks to go and see someone. I needed to see someone within days. Like it couldn't be a wait. And they were, so when I went to my GP earlier this year and I was having a bit of a, bit of a rough time and springtime, I haven't really been able to swim much and just wasn't really feeling myself and like feeling a bit overwhelmed and like you know anxiety was really bad and there was like a, a spot of depression and I could spot it like you know I knew I knew what it was and, it, and I felt like that for, for a few weeks and so I went and I kind of wanted them to give me meds and they did but then they offered me therapy <laughs> I can laugh about this now they offered me therapy they're like um but it's this new thing where um it's self-guided and we send you self-help books and I was just like, guys, like, I can go to water, you know, I can go to Waterstones. So it's not like there aren't self-help books available in the bookshop. But I don't need that. I might not want to do that. I need to actually some, talk to someone. I need to sit down in front of someone and unburden myself. And then, and yeah, them to tell me it's going to be okay or that, or that it's not going to be okay or that I need to do more work on myself. And... It just was like, and then eventually, I think it was maybe late July, I got a letter saying, would you be interested in these self-help books? I'm like, are you, are you serious? So they gave me a month's worth of sertraline, which my anxious mind meant I didn't take because I read too much about it. Yeah. And which was daft. I probably should have done. 
but I read far too much about it and I've read too much about its side effects and it scared me. And I think perhaps, you know, and I was fortu- I'm fortunate enough that I can afford to pay for therapy. So I went back to my therapist in London, but I live in Brighton. So that's an expensive proposition, you know, 70 quid for a session, 25 quid for a train ticket, a bit of lunch. It's like a hundred pounds minimum for a day. You know, you do that five, six times. That's a lot. Most people, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I, you know, have got some money saved that I can do that. Not a lot of people can. Not a lot of people know that they have problems and, and like going to the doctor and like the doctor was actually like, she was embarrassed. And I think that's the worst thing about it. She was mortified and she knew that like offering me a self-help book wasn't going to, what's it going to do? Like, there's no, you know, there are self-help books that work, but like, Christ, I've written a book about my own anxiety and I still, you know. Have they issued your own book to you? <laughs> I've read this great book about, well, it's you should check it out. I know, because I just self-edit. I do what I do whenever I do readings. I'm like, oh no, that's not, like you wrote this like three years, you finished writing this three years ago, but come on. <laughs> yeah, it's the thing that I do whenever I do readings now. If I don't like a sentence, I just change it. <laughs> read it out, read out something different. But yeah. There we go. I don't know. I don't know what the, what the. Uh, funny enough, I was in the GP surgery and I saw that service advertised. Can self-help books cure depression? No. Like, can they help with depression? Sure. In like a massive mix of things that includes like an amazing mental health provision where everybody gets access to talking therapy and there's parity of service. What What do you think it is about the wild swimming or the the, the cold water swimming that actually? Do Do you think it's the the thing that it does to your body which helps or is it the fact that it sort of gets you into a place where you can start exploring the other areas of your life as well like give you confidence to do that a mixture of both like, I think it's it? a bit of both I think the thing that it I think the initial thing is what it does to my body because like you have like your initial response when you get in especially cold water is obviously to like start hyperventilating so that your body almost goes into shock. So you have to slow your breathing down. See, if you slow your breathing down, you slow your heart rate down. So therefore you feel calmer. And I was reading a thing last week about how like, once your body, your skin temperature and the, and the water temperature equalise, then you start to feel a bit warmer in the water. And okay, you don't want to stay in for too long because that's crazy. But then it's that feeling of like, obviously your breathing and your heart rate come down. And therefore, your mind is it's meditative because your mind is only focusing on the swimming or that particular, you know, staying in the water. And then, like, your mind will be like, right, okay, time. We need to get out now. Um, and then when I'll come out, I'll generally have that very calm feeling. It can be anywhere between, like, half an hour and five or six hours, depending. I mean, in the winter, it can last a really, really long time. But it will take me ages to warm up first. Um which is fine. Like, I know that, like you know, having a cold, having a hot shower straight away is daft because it like pulls all the uh, pulls all the heat from your core, and then that's when you go hypothermic. But then I think what it has sparked in me is an interest in finding a whether you can feel like that all the time. And I think what I've discovered is you can't, but you can certainly tap into those ideas through different things. A bit meditation. I do quite a lot of just yoga at home, just like you know, fifteen twenty minutes a pop maybe a couple of times a week and I feel really good after that because again that's another situation where if you put all your devices away from you you just stay in that your little cubby hole you're you know that's good and you can feel really good about that and then that you know 
it has set me down a, a further path of self-examination, which one, which is something that was an unintended consequence. I didn't think that I was going to have therapy. I didn't think that I was going to study myself and my life in such depth as I did when I started. But that has been a massive and amazing byproduct of it. Because I've got a much greater understanding of myself. That's not to say I'm not, like... I think it's like an understanding that anxiety doesn't really go away. That you can understand the causes of it, you can understand the core of it. Like, switching it off is really hard. Um, but understanding that it's there and noticing it when it comes up is great. Because then, generally, you can be like, right, if I go for a swim now, or if I go for a while, or do whatever, I will be able to maybe get a little bit more perspective on something and perspective is really important that that's the thing that i generally always lack and like trying to rationalize is really and i try and ra- I, I think one of my issues is i try and ra- almost rationalize things too much now i've sort of gone like the other way and you can't always rationalize things like you know some things just happen because they do like today i dropped my son off at nursery and he was happy as larry on the walk up there and as soon as we got there he's like screaming his head off and i'm trying to rationalize it and it's like that's just how it is like it might not be like that tomorrow you know you just have to accept that and move on there's some things that happen and you're just like okay, got it but then the other thing it's working out what things happen and you need to try and rationalize them and work a way through but that's certainly not how i would have felt before i started swimming but the swimming has to happen really for me has to happen quite regularly otherwise like, i would get a bit like i say, i didn't swim through the winter last year i did swim at least once a month i didn't think i did and then i read back my journal from last winter it's like 8th of January, second swim of the year. And I'm like, are you mad? Like, it was freezing. But it happens, you know, it still goes on. It's just not as often as I would perhaps like. But yeah. Uh, thank you very much to Joe again for sharing that. Um, it was really nice to be invited into his house and to, uh, and to sit there and, and chat with him again. It's really nice to hang out with him. Uh, I really like what Joe's doing. And actually, it was a shame because originally we were planning on meeting up and going wild swimming before recording this but uh i had been ill for a few days and so i was recovering from that and we'd been planning on going swimming in the sea and it was really windy so it was too rough to go in the sea and then we didn't really have time to go out of brighton that day so um we didn't we just sat and drank cups of tea in his house and chatted which was lovely but i do hope that at some point in the future i'll get to go uh swimming with joe somewhere um I'd really like to zoom in a little bit, hone in on that point we talked about, the the one thing. I think that's so key for me. I think it's so um, easy to uh, to sort of focus on one thing and think that's going to be the, the solve all the problems. But actually, I just don't think life works like that. And I think it's important to see these things in uh, in the wider ecosystem that we exist in in our lives. And um, I think something like uh, outdoor cold water swimming for me it really helped because it it manages to break some routines and allow you to spend more time in nature allow you to spend more time with friends and making connections with people and then there's a i think a sort of exercise element to it although i'm not sure how much uh actually exercise i've ever got when i've done the swimming it's more been about sort of connections and fun but i think that's key it's it's about uh looking at different ways of of being that are outside of your usual realm realm of perspective and i think something like wild swimming that does that 
for me it does that for joe maybe it doesn't do that for everyone but i think that's the thing it's just to be able to explore different things some some big things some small things which will add up to creating a environment which works for you um but yeah anyway thank you very much to joe i would encourage you to read his book floating a life regained i'll put a link down to it below and also there's a really beautiful short documentary made by a filmmaker called ben cox about joe and wild swimming and i'll put a link to that as well because i think it's really beautiful and it's another sort of little insight into what joe has been doing uh, and then if you'd like to find out more about my journey with the Ministry of Change, then uh, check out my website, theministryofchange.org. And again, if you are able to offer any financial support to help make this uh, more sustainable, then uh, I have a Patreon page, which is sort of like... Um, uh, crowdfunding and you get extra uh, content and extra interviews extra stuff which i put on there uh i try and make it accessible to everyone so just by paying the minimum amount or as much as you like you get access to all this additional content uh and then if that's not something you can uh you can do which is very understandable then um just going onto itunes and rating and reviewing uh, my podcast is really really beneficial to me and helps me reach more people so anyway but the main thing is coming here and listening and i thank you very much for that and i hope to see you back here soon so thank you very much goodbye